everybody, this is In Studio James here, and I'd like to personally welcome you to the podcast. Story Slam is a true storytelling show based in the city of Bristol in the UK. We host monthly shows in the beautiful wardrobe theatre in Old Market, and we're really excited to present our show in podcast form. If you are a new listener, welcome, we really hope you enjoy, and if you're an old listener, it's lovely to have you back. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you enjoy the show, leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, or even better, recommend it to your friends. Today, we have a recording from our October show, 2022, when our theme was Bad Blood, and our host was the fabulous Becky Pickett's. Uh, and that's it from me. I will hand you over to Becky to explain the show in more detail and hear some stories. Enjoy, everyone. Write a true short story on the theme of bad blood. On Monday, I went on a date (laughs) with a man who spent 85% of the time talking about how good-looking he was. (laughs) Well, lucky you, he sounds like a keeper. He asked me if there was anything I would change about my appearance. I said... Sure, I have insecurities, but I'm mostly just happy and grateful to have good physical health, so I focus on that. He replied, but what about your lips? (laughs) (laughs) There won't be a second date. (laughs) Wow. Oh. Okay. (laughs) Shall we just rip this man and throw him into the sea? Are you going to say horrible things to me <laughs> <laughs> in person? Maybe, maybe, yeah. 
Yeah, maybe that's on you. Maybe you should have asked. Are <laughs> <laughs> you going to say all things? No. But um, the second type... That is bad blood. Bad, bad vibes over there. Um, the second type of story we're going to hear today is the five minutes... Uh, the true stories on stage. So for these ones, there are five rules. Um, firstly, it must be true. Secondly, it must be a story. Uh, thirdly, it must be about you and I want you to be one of the main characters in the story and I want to hear how it made you feel so this isn't uh, uh, you know fictional tales of um, of, of your <laughs> this is yeah, real life and we want it to be intimate and cosy and to hear how it made you feel fourthly um, it must be five minutes or less so now we find out if um, if I've delegated giving the instrument to anyone sounds like maybe I haven't delegated that uh, but after five minutes, you're going to hear this sound. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> it's here. Um, so the fifth rule is uh, they, so you'll, no notes for telling a story. Oh, so after five minutes, you'll hear this sound. Which means, oh, then maybe at the end, you just have one grace minute to wrap up your story. Um, and then after the sixth minute, you'll hear this sound. <laughs> Which means we... <laughs> um, we love to have you, and you've graced us with your presence, and we're just so full of your loveliness. We can't, <laughs> we can't have another drop. Um, perfect. So that's it. Five minutes. And then the fifth and final rule. So no notes for telling your story, unless it would be like severely prohibitive to you if you need them for a special reason. We just want it to be like round a campfire. It doesn't need to be perfect or polished. You're just telling us your story and how it affected you and made, made you a better person, a worse person, the same. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, uh, yes, so that's great. And now this month's theme, bad blood, it's a tricky one. It could be... Um, you know, maybe it has some negative connotations if there was you're in a group and there's bad vibes. But maybe some positive connotations. Maybe you you were in a group and there was bad blood against an evil oppressor and you overthrew them and now we live in a socialist utopia. <laughs> um, but so yeah, we'll try and see. But would you like me to start by telling you a little short story of my own? Yes. Um, so when I was at school. I wasn't always as cool, calm, and collected and affable as I am now. Um, and yeah, and it, it, I, I think, yeah, I sort of got bullied a bit at school. And I don't think that's particularly special. I think most people did by different groups. And um, but yeah, it all, the, the, the key thing I, it all started when I, and this is a real low, getting bullied in the knitting club. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you think you go to a safe space. <laughs> And there was a, um, there was a, uh, a sweet, like, I don't know how she worked there. She must have been about 90. But this lovely 90-year-old, she wasn't a teaching assistant. She really just came in for the knitting club. And she would run the knitting club. And she just couldn't really control. She, she didn't have the skills to discipline the five girls in the knitting club. Uh, because, yeah, they would just, like, you know, take my knitting. And, um, you know, make fun of me and that kind of thing. And then I told the teacher, and I didn't feel very cool about that, but, um, but yeah, that, that was sad. And then if you, if you jump forward a few years in secondary school, I, uh, there was a horrible boy called Sam. And um, <laughs> er, uh, <laughs> he, um, he was, was very nasty to me. And I remember one time, I, uh, oh, I don't want to brag, I, 
I uh, was, got to do the, the UK maths challenge because I was one of the best in my year at maths. And then when I... Thank you. It was impressive, yes. And then when I did so well in the maths challenge, they... People who do really well on the UK Maths Challenge get to go to the next level, which is called the Pink Kangaroo. And when the teacher told me, oh, Rebecca, you, you're the only one in the class, but you've got through to the Pink Kangaroo level of Maths Challenge, which didn't make it any cooler. Um, <laughs> I was smiling so much, and I had big braces, but I had a big smile, and I went, wow, that's amazing. And Sam said to me, I hate it when you smile. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it. Stop it. It looks horrible. <laughs> Some would say... That I think green isn't his colour. And that he was <laughs> jealous because he wasn't as good at maths as the smiley girl with braces. Guess what, baby? Braces come off, but bad personalities stick around. Um, and then, yeah, and he'd do other horrible stuff, like he would take that food from the bin and try and throw it on me. Really unoriginal, unoriginal. And I didn't like hanging out. I had friends who were nice to me, but they weren't particularly, they weren't going to stand up for me, and they were still friends with Sam, even dated Sam, and even made love to Sam. <laughs> In, like, year 11. Weird vibes. And then, um, and <laughs> is that making love? I don't know. And then, um, yeah, so I didn't really have anyone I wanted to sit with at lunchtime because my friends were kind of being a bit... Bit not great and still hanging out with this guy who was mean to me. So I would do what lots of kids did, uh, sit in the library and read books. And I'm sure there are loads of people here who did a similar thing where you, yeah, no friends at school, doing, finding it hard to sit and read books in the library because you're like, in, you know, you've got like, you're inquisitive and you care about, but I didn't want to read normal books because I actually wasn't an inquisitive child. I would <laughs> go and read Jamie Oliver cookbooks <laughs> in like year 10 and 11 and in the library at lunchtime. I'd be like, damn, yeah, let's cook that pasta, baby. And then I'd go home and bring the cookbooks to my, um, and photocopy the recipes. And my mum was saying, and I was telling my mum and dad today, like, oh, do you mind if I tell a story about being bullied in school? I don't want you to think I had a bad time. I still had a good time. And they were like, yeah, we remember it well. And think of all the lovely pasta. <laughs> tip for making macaroni cheese which is when you you don't make the sauce from scratch you just use creme fraiche it's a cheat but it, it, it tastes delicious and that's what I was learning at school and then yeah so I didn't have a great time making friends and then when I finally turned 18 and was gonna go to uni and move to Bristol uh, I was like oh I'm a bit weird are people gonna be okay with that I'm a bit weird and I remember I to, in order to make friends I thought the ideal thing to do would be buy a uh, you could buy lots of gold chocolate coins and then I would keep them in the bowl in the living area and then people would be like, hey, this girl's really friendly. She's giving us free chocolate coins. Maybe she'll be our friend. And it actually worked. Because in, in Bristol, and maybe in adult life, I'm sure it's not just Bristol, being like really keen and... And, and nice and giving people gold chocolate coins instead of being cool is actually like acceptable and I like you won't, yeah I've not been bullied since becoming an adult isn't that lovely oh. <laughs> thank you so much for listening um, yes yeah all's well that ends well really there can be bad vibes but they don't last for long nothing does um, <laughs> no, no, but you know, life is a one-way ticket, as I'm always saying, death comes with all. So, um, <laughs> before we have our next proper storyteller, I'll just give you a bit more admin. So we're now being recorded for the Story Slam Bristol podcast, Ooh. Uh, which is why this funny little device is here that's sadly blocking your view of me. Um, so yes, if you're on stage telling a story, firstly, if you don't want to be on the podcast, that's fine, you can put that on the box, but this is the ideal place to stand so that our mic 
for recording can still hear you. So that's just the admin. And then the other bit of admin is if you want, if you're holding the microphone, just hold it here near your face. I think that's enough. <laughs> um, okay. What about? Shall we do a drum roll for our next, the name of our first storyteller? And it is Emma. have content warnings so uh, there's a content warning for this one which is illness so if you uh, are not in a place where you're where you can hear one of the stories with those content warnings today that's absolutely fine you can just take yourself upstairs for five minutes and come back when you're ready uh, because we want to hear all sorts of difficult stories today not all things are lollipops and candy lanes you know um, we want to hear the hard stories but you personally might not be in a place where you can do that so uh, yeah the content warning here is illness I will just give one more moment for people to move if they need, so I'll do another one-liner. And thank you so much to Emma for waiting. I should have said that one earlier. Just um, one-liner. Uh, a true short story on the theme of bad blood. When I was at, at school, as I got older, all of my friends started to turn against me. I think it was because of my age, teenager, I had hardly any friends at school. However, a long time later, I now have loads of friends and, uh, and have love with many people. Oh, share love with many people. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I didn't say make love, I said have. <laughs> and share love with many people. When I was at school, I found it hard. Teenagers can be cruel without knowing that they are. Oh, similar themes. Um, shall we send this one into the sea, but with a with a hope and a kiss? <laughs> um, and then a huge round of applause for our first storyteller, Emma. <laughs> Ooh, I don't want to go first. <laughs> That's okay. Um, so I'm someone who is quite anti-conflict, um, really bad at dealing with confrontation, which means there are a lot of situations where I really struggle to assert myself and stand up for myself. But um, what I've realised is that I have zero problem standing up for anyone else, particularly my loved ones, family and friends. And it turns out this is an inherited trait, and my mum is exactly the same. So um, she will avoid confrontation, but someone fucks with one of her children, you better trust they will be dealt with. Um, so it's 2003, um, I'm 13, and I'm really seriously quite unwell. And everyone around me knows that I'm unwell, but no one really wants to face up to it or deal with it. Um, so my family have booked a holiday to Lanzarote, and the plan is that we're going to go try, go on this holiday, have a good time, and then when uh, we get back, I've got a doctor's appointment booked, so we'll kind of deal with it there. So I'm on holiday, and I'm kind of just, for most of the holiday, just like vegetating by the pool on a sunbed, which might not seem like that unusual behaviour for a holiday, but for me, it's not really my thing, so it is quite out of character. And um, there's, I think maybe like day two, I finally gather the strength and the motivation to kind of sliver from the sunbed into the hotel pool. 
um, specifically onto an like, inflatable lilo. And it's a nice hotel pool, and it's just, there's only me in the pool, and then this one other man who I'm guessing was in his sort of late 60s, and he's doing lunch. And then, so I'm just floating around on my lilo, and then all of a sudden, this gust of wind comes, and it blows my lilo into this man's path, and he's doing his lunch. And he is enraged. He is livid. He is shouting at me. He is saying, like, stupid girl, don't you have any control over this lilo? How <laughs> <laughs> oh, dare you interrupt my lens? And, like, first of all, I don't know why he thinks I can control the wind, but also, <laughs> looking at me at this time, like, I'm literally tiny Tim in this situation. People are looking at me, thinking, like, mm, don't think she's going to make it till Christmas, kind of thing. So, it was really quite unjustified that he was just getting all enraged. So I'm really upset by this. I get out of the pool, go back to my parents, and I'm probably crying. <laughs> Very upset. And my mum is just furious. And she's saying to my dad, like, John, John, you need to go talk to this man. You need to tell him this is unacceptable. She's just a child, John. And my dad is just like, oh, you know, just, just ignore him. Just, he's just a grumpy old man. Just leave him be. Um, so my mum's sort of quietly seething. We kind of think, well, you know, that's, that. that's just deal with it kind of thing. It's over. Just try and forget about it. Or so we think. Next morning, mum, we're at the hotel breakfast. It's like a buffet breakfast. And my mum is doing like that normal thing that you do at a hotel breakfast. It's a buffet. And she's like taking loads of stuff from the buffet, wrapping it in a napkin, <laughs> putting it in a hamper. Um, because that's what you do. And if you're not doing that at a buffet breakfast, like why are you <laughs> um, So we don't think anything of this. And then... Basically, to get down to the pool, you, like, a, in the hotel, there was like, a long corridor with lots of open windows that overlooked the pool and all the sunbeds. So we're walking down this corridor, and suddenly my mum is like, get back, get back, get back, to me, my sister and my dad. And she sees the man lying on a sunbed under, directly under a window. And suddenly, she is getting stuff out of the napkins. I think it's like raisins. And she's throwing them very confused and then she's like ducking back and like telling us what she's like ducking back and um, he's just very confused and angry as to why his tanning session is being interrupted by falling raisins <laughs> so we think this is hilarious and we're like okay yeah, that's funny like we've got revenge and that's the end of it but no next morning <laughs> my mum's doing it again this time with like some stale bits of rolls and bread and stuff so again we think this is very funny but my dad is now like enough enough you know, that's enough now. So we think, okay, that's it, that's over. Um, so it gets to our final night of the holiday. And uh, we, we're having dinner in the hotel restaurant. And we see the man and his wife are also having dinner. And they get up to leave. Um, my mum said uh, to my sister, she goes, Laura, I want you to follow that man and his wife back to the hotel room <laughs> and get the number of the hotel room. So my sister's like, what? But also she knows that she doesn't say no to my mum. So she does it and comes back and my mum tells us the plan. And the plan is my mum is going to phone the hotel reception at 3am in the morning and say, can you please put me through to this man's hotel number? Just, just to wake him up. Just to wake him up at 3 in the morning and interrupt his sleep. So my dad is like, Julie, this is really immature. Like, no, My <laughs> mum is like, he was mean to our daughter, and he will pay. So my mum does it, 3am, she phones up the hotel reception, says, can I be put through to room, I don't know, 26 or whatever. 
And the man apparently answered and was obviously very annoyed at being woken up, but my mum was very polite and was like, I'm so sorry, I thought it, I meant to phone through to my daughter's room. But she ruined his night's sleep. <laughs> and that was that. And then, yeah, so we did, she did get, in her own way, she sort of got her petty revenge. Um, and then a few days later, we get back, and I have my doctor's appointment. And it's one of those where... Um, the doctor made me leave the room and then said to my mum, like, unless we intervene immediately, your daughter has, like, at best a few weeks to live. And, um, yeah, uh, spoiler alert, I didn't die. Looking back on it, um, although it was funny, I think my mum's response to that man was really her perhaps knowing that she couldn't protect me. She couldn't stand up to an illness. She knew I was ill and she couldn't protect me from that and she couldn't stand up to it, but she could stand up to this man. Um, and it was just one of those moments where I kind of knew that my mum's always got my back. And you know what, even when I was ill, like she did stand up to my illness. And she held my back all throughout that well. Um, so yeah, and I know what, I have hers too. So yeah, that's it. Uh, so I don't need to add to it, but, like, so even if you can't see that, like, you deserve love and you deserve to be okay and that it's all going to be all right, just seeing someone else know that for you and seeing that your mum knew that for you and that she loved you and wanted you to be okay is really, like, important and moving, isn't it? And that feeling of, you know, a mother, if her baby's under a truck, she, like, suddenly gets the adrenaline and the strength to lift the truck because she loves the baby so much, but your mum doing that by, like, throwing food at the <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Sort of actually write back and say, you know, oh, actually, what you said was a bit unfair. 
And surprisingly enough, um, she doesn't actually get a lot of negative feedback, a lot of positive stuff, uh, but you get the occasional, occasional bit of negative feedback, she said. So Boris, for example, every time that she sees Marina around, points at her and goes, <laughs> <laughs> And Richard Branson apparently gets quite upset as well. And then there was this column. Um, and someone had written in um, and taken umbrage um, at this slur aimed at, at real tennis players. Um, and if you're not familiar with the sport of real tennis, um, it's, uh, it sort of dates back to Henry VIII, the sort of ancient form of tennis. Um, it's played indoors, um, and it's a little bit slower and less physical than lawn tennis, so um, it tends to be quite popular with sort of the older generation, um, but everyone plays it. Um, so someone that was sort of quite upset with what she said about it um, wrote in just to complain um, about, uh, about what she said. Um, and I'll just, I'll, I know you said no, no notes, but just, you know, I'll, I'll read you some of this letter. I was dismayed to read a somewhat uncalled for slur about the game of real tennis. What has real tennis ever done to Marina to cause such an unprovoked attack? I would welcome a visit to the club from Miss Hyde so that, as a journalist, she might be better acquainted with the facts. The facts being presumably that not all real tennis players are, are twats. <laughs> and Marina seemed quite pained as she, as she recalled this particular column and the letter. Um, because an ordinary person, um, and no less someone that had actually read her columns, um, a fan of hers, um, had actually got quite upset. And I think it's a different uh, case from you know, some uh, billionaire writing in that you know, someone had actually been caught in a crossfire. So as I was sitting in the audience listening to this, I thought, I really need to do something about this. I need to mend this, uh, this harm. I need to bring reconciliation to this situation. <laughs> and you might think, why is some random audience member sitting there thinking what they, what they can do about it? Um, but, uh, dear audience, so I was actually quite familiar with the contents of this letter. Um, I had actually read it a few months ago uh, because it had been shared around on a WhatsApp chat. And, um, and I read it, and so I was quite familiar with it, because um, the letter writer um, was my father. <laughs> <laughs> so, so after the talk, um, I, I went over to talk to Marina and, and said, you know, well, actually, it's funny you, should, funny you should mention that particular letter, because, you know, it's actually my, my, my father that wrote that. And she Oh, she looks so happy. <laughs> so I, I was clutching the, the, her, her book that so she was on a talk um, publishing her uh, publicizing her new book, and so I was clutching this new uh, copy of, of her, her book um, and hoping that she might sign it in his name to kind of maybe bring some bring some reconciliation. She practically tore that book off uh, out of my hands and said, "I'm going to write your father a letter." <laughs> so, I'll read you some. <laughs> Dear Jeremy, that's my father. No one could be more disgusted than me at my real tennis slur. She then signs it off. Yours forever in the tennis doghouse, Marina. <laughs> so, in conclusion, arguing on the internet probably does make you a bit of a twat. Um, but sometimes, if you stand up for something you love, you may get an apology uh, in an unexpected place and a change of heart. That's so lovely, and I love how, oh, it's just nice watching real sincerity and your, oh, you know, your dad can like two things at once, the delightful Marina Hyde, I'm sure, and Real tennis, which 
uh, I didn't I didn't know that was a real thing at the beginning. I thought it was just being that she, she was just um, dissing all tennis fans. Um, oh no, that's wonderful. Oh, what a delightful story. And what a I was I halfway through I was thinking, hey, you're not Marina Hyde, are you in this story? And whoa, plot twist. Big <laughs> <laughs> round of applause. Thank you. decided you just want to have a sit down with a friend and just have like a really deep conversation so just like you're just kind of like chilling you're just there with like your best bud and you just like I don't know, you look up at the stars you just kind of like reflect that kind of thing you know just like on, on the things in your life what's been going on you catch up you know your buds what you do uh, so me and my friend charlotte we went on this night out and we we decide like okay before we kind of go back in i'm just like kind of walking at home and we decide we're going to go around the corner uh, we're going to go to our favourite bench, which is just by this kind of like one-way street by a church, like in a quiet suburb, and I'm just going to kind of like see her off, have a bit of a chat. Off I go, into the night, to all sorts of mischief. And effectively, like, we're having this conversation, and it's getting pretty deep. We're talking about our families. Like, I have a strained relationship with my family, I think. Like, there's a lot of things we have, like, in common. There's a lot of things that we wanted to kind of talk about with our friends and how our lives were changing. And... Suddenly there's this interruption, which is really, really strange, because it's like a one-way street. And then, about 80 metres that way, roughly, on this one-way street in this quiet suburb, lights on. Engine. <laughs> Fucking hell. Just like right there. Just like 80 metres we can just see lights, engine, super loud. And then, 80 metres the other way. <laughs> lights on. Oh my god. <laughs> It's like, what is happening? What have we walked in on? And then we're just sitting there. We clutch our chairs like this. What is about to happen? And then... And it just starts to get louder and closer and louder and closer. And it's, oh my God, they're speeding towards each other. And then the other side, just straight towards each other, full power, fast as they can. And I can see this side, it's like a young guy and like a Ford Focus going like, absolutely booking it, booking it towards the centre, just like where we were, just kind of like saying, oh, oh, what's going to happen? And then there's just like this old fella, like his early 60s, in like a giant black Hilux, like doing the same speed, like towards us. I'm like, oh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And I think they're just going to like pancake in the middle. And then we can just kind of hear, and then just suddenly just before it seems that they're about to collide, just kind of like start to roll to a stop. And then the engine turns off and he goes, and just kind of like, they stop like this close apart. They are like an inch apart. You've got this like full focus in this Hilux. And it's like, we're just sitting there. Oh, what are we, what are we bearing witness to? Is, is a fight gonna happen? Is, is this a drug exchange? What, what, what's going on? What, what's, what's happening? And then like, the thing is, what happens is really interesting. Nothing. 
<laughs> like a solid, I would say, at first, it's like two minutes of everyone, all four of us. You got me, you got my friend Charlotte, you got this young fella and this old fella in their cars, just kind of all sitting, just. <laughs> and they're just like. And just staring each other in the face, not saying anything. Engines off, lights on. It is like insanely tense, and we're wondering what's going to happen. Then, what happens next? Eight minutes of nothing. So now it's like we're, we're ten minutes in, and we've all just been sitting here, just, and we're getting more. Oh, I don't want to move. I don't want to, me neither. Me neither. We're just like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And they're still just like, Ooh, just getting more and more mad, just looking each other in the face. We don't know what's going to happen. And then about 11 minutes in, I kind of just lean up from my bench, just like this. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> and then just kind of like, they both kind of like, like that, as if they were expecting it, but it's kind of like the tension's finally been broken. Um, 20 minutes in. So <laughs> then this amazing woman, I wish I'd got her name. She was just so fun. She just kind of like walks by. She's come, come from, she looks like she's been on the night out here. She looks beautiful. She kind of comes in just like this. And she just immediately understands the situation. It's amazing. She just kind of walks on. And she goes, looks at us on the bench. How long? 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And she just kind of sits next to us. And is like, <laughs> Where's this going? Where's this going? Half an hour. So after, so another 30 minutes in, she's been with us for 10 minutes. And finally, movement. So the guy in the Ford Focus starts revving his engine again. Like he just kind of is like, rum, rum. but the guy in the highlights is like, we ain't having it. We ain't having it. He's just kind of shaking his head. So effectively what happens is like the guy in the highlights, he loses his patience and eventually he just kind of like slowly opens his door, steps out like this, and very deliberately just kind of over to the window of the guy in the focus and just kind of like goes like that. And then the other guy pretends not to notice him. <laughs> <laughs> Open up! What? What? Open your door! No, 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 can't hear you. And then eventually he has to kind of acknowledge him, so he kind of like. He starts to wind down his window, and the guy just leans in, this old fella just leans in to the young fella and goes, I have right of way! <laughs> After this, it was just like, they kind of bicker a little bit. Uh, the old guy looks to us and is kind of like, step in. <laughs> and then eventually the young guy, just as kind of the bigger man, just decides like he's gonna back up. Uh, and then, as he's driving, and then the, the guy in the black high looks, he gets back in, he kind of like starts driving by, and he goes, Take that, young people! And then he's like, <laughs> off he goes into the night, and it's the most insane thing I've ever seen happen after a night out. Thanks. <laughs> Instead of cars, you know, there's just <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the commitment to sound effects was just no, we were there. 
Um, wow, what a, it's a, what, the wild, wild west out there, you know? Um, yeah, road users, you can't trust a single one of them. Um, but, and Rory, that was your first time telling a story? Here, yeah. Here, yes. Congratulations. Any story or that story? Uh, it was your first time here. It's my first time telling that story. Yeah. Oh, should we give a big round of applause? Yeah. <laughs> Truly, today we've got the whole melange of stories in the rich tapestry of life. Um, <laughs> should we? I think we do have time for another one before the interval. Uh, a drum roll, please. And it is another Rory! Woo! Oh, uh, but I'm afraid there is a content warning for this one, uh, which is Blood and Blades. So, um, yes, Blood and Blades is the content warning. So before you stand up, Rory, we will just get a, uh, a one-liner to see us through. Which will, the context of which shall be seen now. <laughs> um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, a true short story on the theme of bad blood. Uh, a few years ago, I was working in an emergency department, and as you might imagine, some shifts, things would get a bit messy. <laughs> I used to play a game of bodily fluid bingo <laughs> to try and see the lighter side of the job. Blood, urine, vomit, and tears, sometimes my own sad face. <laughs> Your own tears, yeah. Um, we're not... <laughs> Uh, we're not too hard to come by. On one occasion, I received a small anointment, this isn't going to be good, of uh, cerebrospinal fluid, which was most exciting. <laughs> I never got to complete the full bingo card, fortunately, before I, yeah, that is fortunate, before I moved on to a different job. Aww. Um, oh. What a, I actually work with cerebrospinal fluid all the time because I'm a neurosurgery nurse and CSF, as we call it in the biz, <laughs> you know, you can't throw a cat without bumping into some CSF at my work, okay? And one time, the, if you ever have a lumbar puncture, uh, the doctor takes some CSF from you to send it to the lab or to like, check the pressure in your cerebrospinal space and I got to hold the bottle because that was my job to like hold the bottle and it's weird because it's warm and it makes sense that it would be body temperature but you just that's it really it's a straw <laughs> it's a straw coloured liquid and it makes sense that it would be like 37 degrees C but it still feels weird but it's perfectly sterile perfectly harmless um, and it's within all of us here in this very theatre. <laughs> Just think about that, okay? Think about next time you're next time you're feeling stressed about the world, hey, at least my cerebrospinal fluid is intact, not inflamed, and maybe it's all going to be all right. <laughs> so I think that's been enough time for. <laughs> Shall we? Can we give a huge round of applause, please, to Rory? Hello everyone. So this is about relief, my relationship with my friend Connor. And oh, I love him, but um, he's one of those people who is just an agent of chaos. Um, he's lovely, but just 
destruction just seems to follow in his way. Through no fault of his own, he claims. But there is always something being broken and things going wrong. We used to we used to call him the Labrador because he's just so happy to see you and so excited that he wags his tail and then he knocks like grandma's days over. Um, that's just his energy. And he really brought that to my 18th birthday. We were going out in Windsor and we just got a as as 18 year olds, obviously quite a few beers before this, so we could try and sneak into the club drunk. No idea how that was going to work, but it was going to work. We got a minibus to the place. They had all piled out, singing, chanting, walking down the street. Got out, paid the man, turned around, was like, yes, okay, we're here, ready to hit the town. And um, suddenly, out of nowhere, just, I just get this feeling, like something hits me in the head, I'm like, oh, ow, what the fuck's that? Um, and everyone's assembled in the light a few metres away, and I walk, walked over, looked down, and my hand is just absolutely covered in blood. And um, I, and I start panicking, because my head's not meant to be pissing out blood in my head, that wasn't the plan. And I'm just trying to keep together, okay, okay, what do I do now? Everyone else just freaks the fuck out. They just see me running out of the darkness covered in blood. Um, most of them to very little helpfulness. Just lots of screaming, lots of phones being videoed. Um, and kind of amongst, amongst, I was just kind of triaged myself, like, like, lots of blood bad, but like, how, how bad is this? Because it's hurt, but we're not quite sure. So, okay, quiet, 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 everyone, shut up. Can anyone see my brain? <laughs> Luckily, no one could see my brain. Um, um, so then we're like, okay, so how do we deal with this problem? First, someone's like, okay, I've got this, I've got this. Ran straight to the nearest kebab shop and just grabbed a load of tissues, chucked that in the head. Um, Connor was insistent. They're like, nah, we'll get a, we'll get a plaster on it. You can, we can go to the clubs. I was like, Connor, this not happening. He was like, no, come on, mate. He's like grabbing me, like, come on, we can go. And... Um, I, 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 was, I was not having that. I was bleeding far too much to have any more fun that night. And I was like, no, I'm not going. He's like, okay, 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 guys, who wants to go? Who wants to go? I'm going to the club, come with me. And I was like, right. If I can't go, and it's my birthday, and I'm pretty sure you had a hand in this, I'm not going to, I'm going to make sure you can't go either. So I got my little pool of blood that was in my hands and threw it at my friend <laughs> so that he couldn't get into the club. Um, because what happened, he had got out of the taxi, found a traffic cone, and just gone, way and just threw it straight up in the air. And as soon as it like departed from contact with his body, he was like, this is not my problem anymore. <laughs> After which, about three metres in the air and three metres down, it became my problem, and it going to smash directly into my head. Um, so, we've got some tissues on. Um, Car mate's like, right, okay, we're going to call the ambulance. Lovely man came, sought me out, went to the hospital. A couple of my, couple of my other mates got, got in a taxi with me to the hospital just to make sure I was okay. They're the good friends. Um, and then later, my mum arrived at the hospital being like, oh, are you okay? Are you okay? Like, okay, so what happened? And I was like, oh, okay. I, I, I maybe do, I'm kind of, maybe even cussed, but. I do know it's a bit of a bitch move to, t- to tell my mum that my friend almost killed me, so... I was like, no, no, it was just it was a complete stranger. She was like, right, are you, are you sure it wasn't one of your friends? Definitely a stranger. So it wasn't Connor. 
no, no, I don't know what you're talking about, Mum. I don't know what you're talking about. And I ended up having, I don't know, like 12 or something stitches in my head. Um, not great. Um, and uh, then only got home at like 6 a.m. because it's still around the hospital and that kind of thing. Um, but then uh, in the morning, there's a little ring at my doorbell. And Mum went down to answer the doorbell. And it was Connor saying, oh, Diane, I'm so sorry. I hurt your son. He sucks an accident. I hope you'll someday forgive me. And that is why, even though he's a pain in the ass, I still love him. because there's a, a few that have ended up with Rory getting like, horribly injured. But <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's a new one. <laughs> um, big round of applause for Rory! <laughs> and, if, and Rory, if in the future you consider perhaps you know, more sober friends or wearing a helmet, that's what we do. That's, we, yeah, we personally wouldn't condone the throwing of blood. But you're, you're living your one wild and precious life. Like, you're doing your own thing. Round of applause! Woo! Um, we've got time for another one before the interval. Could we have a little drum roll, please? It is Jim! Wonderful. Come on up, Jim! Five years ago, I learned from the American Red Cross that I have bad blood. And uh, as a result of that, I learned that um, I was banned for life from ever donating blood. It seems I was exposed to a virus. And it's the kind of virus that can be transmitted through blood transfusions. And if you get it, it can kill you. And there's no cure. And um, there's no test to it can stay dormant in your system for very long, for a long time. Uh, so better safe than sorry, I was banned. But uh, you know, all the same, I've often wondered, how bad can it be? <laughs> I mean, really, among friends here, if, I, if God forbid any of you needed a blood transfusion <laughs> and you needed a volunteer and I put up my hand, you, you'd take my blood, right? <laughs> well, before you answer, before, before you answer, let's, let's just put a pin in that, okay? I want to tell the rest of my story. Um, I used to be a blood donor all the time, and this started back in the 1970s when I was a college student. And we did this thing. I had a gang of friends, and we'd do this on a Saturday morning. It had to be a Saturday, and we'd go over. Uh, this was when I lived in Ohio, back in the States. We'd go over to Christ Hospital, and um, we'd get in the queue at their blood donation center, and... First thing you do is you fill out a form, and it has some screening questions, you know, like uh, malaria, hepatitis, no, no. Hand that in, next thing you do is you go into the donation room, and it's this room full of chaise lounges and a big circle of chairs, and um, 
they, uh, you sit down and they hook you up and they start drawing your blood. And um, uh, there's nothing to do for about 10 minutes. Um, uh, you know, you sit there and you, you look around the room and there's these posters that are inspirational. They say, you've saved someone's life today and thank you for donating, you're a hero. And you think, yeah, yeah, I'm doing something good for humanity here. This is a good thing, good on me. And that's about 30 seconds. And then the rest of the time you're there, uh, well, we were college guys, so we just amused ourselves with stories about our ability to produce um, uh, body fluids. <laughs> so that's 10 minutes. And then after that's done, they take us into the recovery room, and that's where you get um, free orange juice and cookies. And, uh, you know, college students, for us, that's, we call that lunch. <laughs> we eat all of that. And then the next stop on your way out, you go by the cashier window. And in those days, they gave each of us a $20 bill for our pint of blood. And um, for college students, a $20 bill in the 70s was a life-changing amount of money. I mean, <laughs> that, that, that's, a, that's a Domino's pizza. <laughs> Two if you have a coupon. And uh, plus all the beer you can drink for a weekend, a couple of weekends. So that was great. The whole experience was great. And so we did it all throughout university. And uh, then one day, university ended. We graduated. I took a job in another city. And just like that, I stopped donating blood. And several years went by, several years. And then one day, I found myself randomly in front of one of these Red Cross mobile blood collection vans. And I said, OK, let's do it. I go in. And uh, we begin the process. Step one, the, the clipboard with the questions. Hepatitis, no. Malaria, no. Oh, some new questions. Um, there's things about high-risk activities with needles and sex partners now. Um, no, 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 no. Uh, and then another new question was a little bit weird. It said, um, in the years 1980 to 1996, have you spent a total of three months in the United Kingdom? And I had to do, uh, let's see, holidays, business travel? Yeah, yeah, I did. Okay, okay, so yes. And I hand in my clipboard, and the nurse says, no, you're banned. That's it. And I'm what? And I, I have to get an explanation, and she's explaining it to me, and yada, 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 mad cow disease. And uh, so I'm banned. And you know, while I'm trying to process this, all I can think of is uh, to say is, so, no cookies? <laughs> and the nurse says, uh, no, sorry. <laughs> cookies are for donors. <laughs> so I, I had to do that walk of shame. You know, I had to go out through the, against the flow of traffic coming in. And I could see the judgy look on people's faces. Like, oh, I don't know what he's got, but we don't want any of that. <laughs> so this whole experience went from being fantastic, great, to being just awful. Um, and then several more years pass, and uh, now I'm living in the United Kingdom. And you know, something interesting happens when you cross that border. <laughs> Suddenly, it's like a miracle, my blood goes from being bad blood to good blood. <laughs> because, because the NHS doesn't give a rip about mad cow <laughs> So. Uh, as far as blood donations go, I'm fine. And, you know, the answer to that question I asked before, the answer is yes, you'd be happy to take my blood. <laughs> and you'd even say thank you and give me cookies. <laughs> so uh, that's great. You know, I'm happy that you're happy about the situation. But frankly, I'm, I'm, 
I'm feeling a little bit, you know, sort of once bitten, twice shy about this. And, um, you know, I got to say, I'm not as enthused as I used to be about being, like, out in front and giving blood. I'm more of a, 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 a back-of-the-queue guy now. I just, <laughs> I find myself, you know, I just want to be the last resort option. <laughs> That's my story. by the sparks from the stories we've just heard here, then please put it in. Um, and we'll come back in 15 minutes. Goodbye! Hello there again, everyone. In studio, James here, just popping in for the interval. I hope you are able to find some time in your day today to give yourself a little bit of a break. So maybe take a moment to grab yourself a cup of tea or a snack or something. Uh, we had lots of names in the hat this month, which surprised us because we had imagined people would be more reluctant to share stories on a darker theme like bad blood. But it turns out lots of people had stories to tell of bad blood and we have even more coming in the second half. So stay tuned. Uh, while we are waiting for everyone to grab a drink and put more names in the hat, we want to quickly thank our patrons over at patreon.com forward slash story slam. We really appreciate the support. Uh, our in-person shows will always be affordable and our podcast will always be free. But if you would like to support the show, then you can become a patron today. We wanted to quickly share a bit of feedback we received all the way from Antarctica by a listener called Tuck. They say they absolutely loved the show and it, they said it was a lot of fun listening to not just each person's story, but also their storytelling style. We couldn't agree more. Uh, people are such naturally good storytellers and not only does everyone who gets up on our stage do a good job, but they also all have their own unique storytelling style. So thank you so much, Tuck, for your feedback. It's incredibly cool that it's come from the Antarctic. We can't believe our little show is being enjoyed somewhere so remote. If you are listening from somewhere interesting or remote or just like to get in touch with us for any reason, you can do that by emailing us at hello at storyslam.co.uk. We would also like to remind everyone that you have the option to submit your own anonymous story for possible inclusion on a future episode. And you can do that by submitting your story on our website at storyslam.co.uk forward slash submit. Uh, much like our live show, those short stories are completely anonymous. Uh, otherwise, that is it. Looks like the show is about to restart. Hope you've enjoyed your short break. I'm now going to hand back to Becky to introduce the second half. Enjoy, everyone. <laughs> no 
prank jokes. That was all off the cuff, and it shows, doesn't it? Give me a cheer if you got a drink at the bar. Give me a cheer if you went to the loo to avoid your bladder. Give me a cheer if you said hi to someone you've not said hi to before. Yeah, an introverted crowd, that's fine. <laughs> We've also, um, it's, it's very warm today, isn't it? October, so we've made a decision to, thanks to um, someone suggesting it, we've opened the doors to let the breeze in, right? It shouldn't be this warm in October, should it? You know who we have to thank for that? It's big oil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's mostly they've done bad things, but a nice toasty October where, you know, <laughs> sunbathing at 6pm just as it's getting dark. <laughs> um, that's big oil to thank. Um, Maybe let's not do a cheer for them, but do <laughs> <laughs> um, Why don't we get back into the zone by doing a little one-line story. Um, when I was younger, my sister had a sleepover. One of her friends were particularly mean to me throughout the whole evening. Therefore, I thought, payback is a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so whilst everyone slept... Oh, they're pretty vulnerable, aren't they? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, whilst everyone slept, I drew on everyone's faces, glasses, beards, and moustaches, even myself. Oh. <laughs> Genius. That's, oh, that's so smart. Um, whoa, someone, you should be a spy. <laughs> and in the morning, the only person's face that hadn't been drawn on was my sister's friend. Answers, I pointed and said, It was her! I seen her doing it whilst I went to get some snacks. Yes, she was banned from sleeping over again. <laughs> Happy result! <laughs> too much detail. I'll give you a minute. What we'll do, while I prepare the mic like an absolute techie, <laughs> um, because the thing won't, do you mind, do you take a seat on the step, I'll just do a one-liner. Thank you cool. so much, Kyle. Kyle has the patience of a nun. It's unscripted, this show. <laughs> uh, so the content warning for Kyle's story is death. Wow, I feel like a singer. Adele, my name is Becky. <laughs> um, addendum to the story about throwing blood at my friend. <laughs> he tried to get into a club. The bouncer said no, because he had blood on him. At which he assured the bouncer it was okay, because it wasn't his blood. <laughs> Some of these bouncers can be so picky, can't they? <laughs> Your blood is blood, okay, you're not allowed in. No, no. Um, 
you know, I, I might be off the bounce of science there. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, the, the more the merrier, yes, but not with blood. <laughs> um, should we give a huge round of applause, please, to Kyle? Woo! <laughs> So, uh, uh, bad blood immediately made me think about my granddad, who, uh, he died from lymphoma, which is cancer of the blood, uh, three years ago. Uh, this is the story about how, uh, I was, I was temporarily kicked out of his funeral for laughing too much. <laughs> so, a bit, a bit of pretext about funerals in Ireland. Um, somebody passes away, like two days later, three days later, they're buried pretty fast. I live in England. Uh, I booked seven flights home uh, because he kept uh, being anointed by the priest and then waking up fine the next day. Uh, so it was a tense time for me. And so uh, eventually, third or fourth flight over, he passed away. And on the second day after, after he died, um, what usually happens is that like, we go to a funeral home big semicircle of the family around uh, the open casket. And so like the, the town rocks up and shakes hands with everyone and, and says goodbye to the body. So um, ahead of me in the queue was like, it started with like my nan, whose husband just passed, then, then the, the kids, including my mother, and then like the in-laws from that generation. And then it was the, the, the kids of my generation, me and my cousins, starting with the men, finishing with the women, because you know, we're old school. Um, and so, um, to my left is my two male cousins, their dad, my uncle, and my dad. So, um, the, the funeral's going along and nothing funny happens, really, um, amazingly, um, until three incredibly funny things happen in about 60 seconds. First thing that happened, um, a woman, who I didn't recognise, it's a small town, they've emigrated, so maybe I don't know her, a woman who I don't recognise, middle-aged, maybe like my parents' age, roughly. I don't see, like, there's loads of people shaking hands all day. I don't see her interacting with the first few people. But the, my dad, she hugs. My uncle, she hugs. They live in different counties, have almost no circles in common. And she hugs my two cousins. So I'm thinking, this woman's a hugger. I go for a hug. She goes for a handshake. At crotch level. <laughs> and because I'm embarrassed it takes me a while to pull away and I'm very self-conscious that it looks like I'm into it <laughs> so she storms off very quickly she's thanking God that there's no more male cousins uh, it's immediately onto my sisters and she's relieved uh, my cousin then whispers to me uh, once he like holds in the laughter he explains oh, that's my mom's best friend your dad taught her um, so that's how she knows him. She doesn't know who the fuck you are. <laughs> so that was funny. And then but we held back laughter. We held back. 30 seconds later, um, the Mahonies come along, the, the, the Mahoney family. And they're my neighbours growing up. And an interesting thing about Billy Mahoney is that um, he lost his arm in a factory accident 60 years ago. I knew this. Paul didn't. And so, we're shaking hands, we're shaking hands, Paul puts out his right hand, Billy puts out his only hand, <laughs> Paul panics, and instead of retracting the left hand and shaking this hand like a normal person, 
He does this. And limply, and that's the worst part, limply shakes Billy's hand upside down. No, he, he like was embarrassed and like, but we held back laughter. We did it, we managed to hold back laughter. Those two incredibly funny things happened 30 seconds apart. In a very sad event, you know, releasing tension is tough. We held it together. And so, uh, until the last thing happened, so my nan um, had and still has dementia. And so she was kind of in the room, out of the room all day. And uh, up at the front, my mom and my uncle, her kids, are kind of explaining who's coming up and like lifting up her hands, shaking people's hands, as and she's kind of barely registering who it is. Eventually, Joe Mulvihill comes up. He's the local pharmacist. And like my, uh, my mom lifts Nan's hand, shakes his hand, and says, oh, isn't that nice, Joe? Joe turned up. That's lovely. Unaware. A few more people shake hands, shake hands. And then Joe's about four people down. She has like a moment of lucidity. She looks up and spots Joe, the local pharmacist, at her husband's funeral, and says, Well, Joe, the pills didn't work, did they? <laughs> now, the first. Yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> now, the crotch hug, funny. What could happen to anyone? The hand, panic, explainable. That shit was funny. <laughs> now, my uncle, who's holding my nan's, my nan's hand, didn't see the crotch hug, didn't see the awkward at five. He thought we were laughing at nan's dementia, and so he gives us like the evil eyes, just pointing at us like that. We're asked to leave. We have to come up with some bogus excuse why we're both laughing and leaving my granddad's funeral. In a small town, we have like eight surnames. Everyone knows that we're the kids, you know? So when we got into the car park and uh, we, we, we laugh and laugh and laugh, way too long. Um, and uh, the, the, the story should end there. But um, what ended up happening was uh, my granddad's best friend arrived, uh, who's, you know, an old guy, it's not like it was a six-year-old, it was like another ancient old man, like, uh, wobbling over. And uh, he, he parked up, and he saw the two of us laughing, and he was quite offended. There. <laughs> then he went in. There was a long queue. It took a while for him to join the queue. Um, long enough that we got over the laughing, the laughing and went back into the, the queue. Eventually, he's shaking everyone's hands, and he spots us. And he's being polite, and he's shaking our hands. But he knows that we were the two kids laughing outside the funeral moments ago. And uh, yeah, he didn't really appreciate the fact that his best friend had his grandsons, like, openly laughing at his funeral. Um, so yeah, my uncle had bad blood against me for a couple of months out of that. Um, eventually, we had a, a family gathering uh, after COVID. And he, he, we both were, you know, it's a family gathering in Ireland, post-COVID, we got drunk. <laughs> and uh, eventually he leans in and he's like, why the fuck are you laughing so much? I tell him the story. And he's like, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> Thank you. That is very, very funny. And there's also a special sweetness 
to something when something funny happens in a particularly dark situation. It's so much funnier than if uh, you know it's planned or you're expected or it's supposed to be funny. And it's not your fault that your gran has perfect comic timing. <laughs> <laughs> you're not. You know, you're only human. You're not a robot. You're gonna laugh. <laughs> the tablets didn't work. It's beautiful. Big round of applause. <laughs> Um, I don't have much to add, really. I don't have any funny funeral stories. Just, um, you know, it's, it's a one-way ticket, you know? <laughs> I mean, every, every day I just turn 28, never be 27 again, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> it's not a bad thing. It's a beautiful thing, a privilege to age. I don't think I need to add any more. Big round of applause! Let us do another one-liner. A true short story on the theme of bad blood. My dad and I really didn't get on. I particularly didn't get on with his ex-wife. So much so that uh, one evening when we were all out together, my dad's ex-wife deliberately spoiled the ending of the book I was reading at the time. Oh, <laughs> I had a massive go at her. My dad then had a massive go at me. 14-year-old me decided it was a smart idea to punch my dad clean in the face <laughs> on the streets of Stockholm. <laughs> we both cried. Oh. oh, wow! It's not. It's not all. Um, it's not all lollipops and candy canes, is it? <laughs> um, yeah. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. For that. <laughs> I mean, ruining a book at any time is a, is nasty, isn't it? Um, I hope that even if you don't have a great relationship with your dad, you have great relationships with other people. <laughs> Would you clap if you agree? <laughs> <laughs> um, shall we do another drum roll, please? <laughs> it is Craigie! time ago, um, nearly 30 years, um, about a year and a bit before our lovely host was born. Um, um, I live in a large village in Surrey called Ashvale, and this story involves local politics. Um, <laughs> um, the, the names of the political parties involved probably don't matter that much to the story. They may slip out in passing. We'll see. Um, but anyway, one party had, had won the elections in this village for as long as anyone could remember. But the part, the, most people, when they get involved in politics, it's not because they're trying to take over the world. They're trying to do something, make their country or their community, in their opinion, a better place than it was. And we thought... On our side, I I'd been involved, I'd been on committees, delivered leaflets, that kind of thing. But we thought this was the time when we had a chance of turning things around and winning. And we 
there's an open secret in, in, in local politics. This doesn't happen with Parliament. Often, you think you have a chance of winning, but you don't have enough people who are willing to stand for the council. So you have to twist a few people's arms, and you just hope that if they get in, they'll do a good job. <laughs> <laughs> and some of them do, and some of them are great, and put in a lot of effort, and do a lot of things for their community. And some of them are just quiet, and go to meetings and don't do anything. And some of them don't even go to the meetings and you try to get rid of them as quickly and quietly as you can. And some of them do a lot of things but are complete liabilities. I have heard rumours that that's not just at local politics. <laughs> it's been one or two very recent current rumours about people who've gone quite a long way on that ground. Um, but anyway, back to the early 90s in, in Surrey. Uh, we, we, we did it. We got lots of people elected, some of them whom were really good, uh, one of whom, once he got in, this guy David, he started getting into arguments with people, and in the end he fell out with so many people, he defected and went and joined the other party, who we picked out. And then he started enthusiastically campaigning for them, and in the next... Yeah, there was another election where he didn't have to stand for re-election. And, you know, it may have been a coincidence, but that was the time when one or two strange things happened. Like, just before the eve of the election, lots of posters appeared that fly-posted on places where they weren't allowed in our colours, and it wasn't us that had put them there. It was slightly the wrong shade of yellow. <laughs> um, which is the point where I let slip which party I support. <laughs> um, but anyway, the, the next time there was, there were, and, and, and we lost some, of, some ground on that election. And the next time round, he was due for re-election. But now, he'd fallen out with his new friends. And he was now standing as an independent, and he was such a... Um, you know, putting out all these leaflets saying, let's go against party politics. Now, we thought, and our normal opponents thought, the fact that he'd enthusiastically joined and acrimoniously left two very different political parties <laughs> in the space of four years actually said more about him than it did about us. <laughs> so we had this, this election where we were defending a lot of seats, and, a f you know, you get, you get um, leaflets in elections where... Sometimes they only tell one side of the story. If it's getting a bit dirty, sometimes they tell rather distorted versions of the story. If it's getting really dirty, they tell downright lies. And we were getting some of those. We were also getting him putting out leaflets that his independent Save Ashvale's Environment Party, they were going to do things that were quite impossible because he knew perfectly well that if he and his mate got on, they wouldn't hold the majority on the council, so no one could hold them to their promises. But, um, yeah, a few days before the election, we had lots of bright, brightly coloured posters, poster boards up in gardens of people who were supporting us, and suddenly they all disappeared overnight. Now this has gone into the levels of being criminal. <laughs> it was theft, but we couldn't prove it was him, even though we knew it, it was him. And then the day of the election came, and a few funny things happened. Um, British Gas were told there was, had been a leak 
um, of gas. People had smelt, someone had smelt gas and they informed them. And it was just on the driveway outside the house that we were using this our offices that day. And, and then some very kind people who were supporting us left some cakes on the doorstep and said, we support you and we'd like to encourage you by giving you these cakes. And one or two people were a little bit suspicious so they weren't eaten. <laughs> uh, later, one of our... One of our team got them analysed by a lab. Yes, they did have quite a lot of laxatives in them. And <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the elections happened, we didn't do very well. The Save Ashvale's Environment local party took the seats and David and his mate were our borough councillors for the next four years. They, they got into um, arguments, well, his mate sort of began to drop out. Um, he got into arguments with a local builder. He ended up having some damage to his teeth as a result of that. <laughs> After which, he put up a very big fence outside his house. His um, phone number and email address were... Did we have emails then? Probably not. His phone number was not so available for contacting him and he didn't stand for re-election. And then we could go back to just the blue party and the yellow party arguing about politics like we normally do in <laughs> and, um, and we never heard of David again. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> so you're not the hero. 
Alex, no, I mean, Alex ratted you out, but to be fair, and the thing is, not only did you disrupt Alex's sense of safety and well-being, but you, you've not even told us what the loophole was that let you get to the <laughs> We're all dying to hear, what can we do to get to the front of the lunch queue? I mean, I was ordering brunch today, and it's, yes, yes, I, I've, we've started from the bottom, now we're here. <laughs> I was ordering brunch today and thought, damn, if only I could get to the front of this queue, and I would love a loophole, but, um... Okay, well, it sounds like maybe you've had some personal growth since then and wouldn't do this now. You've not put that in here, but I'm going <laughs> to... Um, <laughs> and a drum roll, please, for next three minutes. Sam! And come to the stage, Sam. Hello. So, uh, as a human, I am very much of the approach of agree to do something and then work out how you do it. Um, so that meant that in school, I was keno. I was there, front of the line, anytime. Um, I know, I'm cool. Um, and that included Gold Duke of Edinburgh. So I didn't stop at just bronze. I went all the way big. Um, and the penultimate, not penultimate, the end goal of that is a four-day walk. So we set off, laden up, um, and luckily I was in a group of other keynotes. So I was a group of friends, saved one girl, who uh, we'll call her Hannah, because that's her name. Um, and Hannah was an absolute militant um, on this walk. So we had to sort of like timetable how long we'd go, and she'd be like, right, you've had five minutes for lunch, we're off which, to me, didn't go down well. Wasn't there for that. So we sort of, like, the, the feud was brewing at this point. Um, and I sort of let it go. I was like, right, we've got four days of this. Four days of this. Um, and I did the practice one with her, absolutely fine. And then we came to the real one, and uh, she'd hurt her ankle a little bit. So suddenly, the militant was gone. And uh, everything, she was like, oh, just give me five more minutes. We'll be, it's okay, we don't need to keep to a schedule, it's fine. And at that point, I could sort of feel it, feel it bubbling. Um, I was like, it's okay, I'm a, I'm a nice person, we can deal with this, it's fine. Um, until I went over my ankle, because I was looking off, and uh, I'm not a particularly coordinated person. Um, so I was stumbling along, and completely went over, tears came to my eyes, and she turned around and was like, What's your problem? My ankle's hurting. Get on with it. So at this point, I saw red. Um, and the next section of the walk was this really like bumpy moor, um, and no one wanted to navigate it. And I was like, this is my chance. And this is where I found out I'm more of a vindictive person than I think I was up until that point. Um, and I was like, I'll, I'll navigate. It's fine. And I was like, right, OK, how can I make this really hard for her? And um, I was like, okay, every single river crossing, we're going to do that, baby. Um, so we were walking along, walking along, and uh, at each one, she'd get a little bit more little downtrodden. And um, I, with glee, would yell out, river crossing! And just see the, her face go slightly lower and slightly lower. Um, which really, looking back at it now, not a particularly nice person. But um, we sort of got to the end, and um, on the last day, suddenly she'd made a miraculous 
recovery from all of this. And we're walking up this um, incline called the Devil's Staircase, which is an absolute bitch. Um, and she was mounting, like, storming ahead like nobody's business. So, again, it was, uh, it was bubbling. It was bubbling underneath. Um, and we got back from that whole walk, and I spent three hours ranting to my mum in the car about this, this whole thing. And she, um, at one point, interrupted me and was like, oh, so by the way, I went and did this. I was like, mother, I'm not finished. <laughs> We've got to go through this. Um, and uh, our relationship never really covered from that. Me and Hannah parted ways. Um, I come from a very small town. Everyone um, of our friendship group was invited to that wedding. Um, for some reason, I wasn't. <laughs> But it was worth it, 100% worth it. <laughs> it's, the, it's the contrast of something super wholesome, like a river crossing and a walk, and something super unwholesome, like having a bad time. <laughs> this uh, makes it a titillating story. Thank you so much, round of applause. And welcome, your first time telling a story, I think. Ooh, yeah. round of applause! Woo. <laughs> um, yeah, we've still, still got people to go through, so I'm going to just read another mate. If you don't mind doing another drum roll, please. So this story sat in Birmingham. Um, I don't know if you've been there, but there's, there's some pretty rough places in, in Birmingham. Um, yeah. So I made a friend about a year ago called Mark, and Mark is Irish, and he's lovely. He's, you know, an absolutely great lad. Um, and he's really into this band called the Mary Wallopers. Uh, they're an Irish, like, folk band. Um, don't know if anyone's heard of them. Cod liver oil and the orange juice and other such classics. Um, yeah. I'd never heard of them before, but he always plays them when round, round his house. Um, and so it turns out they were coming to perform at Birmingham, of all places. Um, and he's like, you know, you should really come. This is a really great gig. And I was like, sure. Um, he's got um, a bunch of friends from Ireland that I haven't met before. And they're, they're all from Dublin, I think. Um, they're a lovely bunch. And, like, you know, sometimes they'll FaceTime him when I'm there and, you know, introduce him. They're, they're very protective of him. Um, um, and so they're coming to this gig as well, and I'm like, okay, cool, I get to meet these guys too, it's really exciting. Um, I get there a bit early, and the Mary Wallopers have, you know, started you know, testing the mic and whatever, uh, and then they go, and then Mark and all of his friends arrive, um, and there's this one guy in particular called Anna, his name's William, but everyone calls him Anna. Um, he is like, you know, he's a, he's a stocky lad, you know, he's, you wouldn't want to mess with him, but... He's like the biggest, cuddliest te teddy bear that you would ever meet, you know. Um, as soon as he saw me, he was a great big smile. He's like, oh, Joe, it's great to see you. You know, a great friend of Mark's, and he gave me, a, gave me a hug. And we had a great time at the Mary Wallopers. Um, so I don't know, I, was, I had a crutch at this time because I had torn my ACL, but I was like, this is not going to stop me from doing the things <laughs> I want to do. Um, yeah, we got very drunk, and 
at one point, yeah, I think I was dancing with my crutches up in the air, trying to get a little jig going. Um, there's nothing more humiliating, there's a bit of a side note, than trying to start a chant and no one following through <laughs> on the chant. Um, I was, they were taking a while to come out. I'd seen them doing the mic test and, and then they were just gone for like hours. I'm like, you know, I know like bands and stuff do the cool thing, like, oh, we're going to come out late. But I was like, come on, we want to see you guys. Um, so I was like, when I say Mary, you say Wallopers, Mary. Dead silence. <laughs> yeah, anyway. <laughs> um, so, you know, we're done with the, uh, with the event and then we go out to get a kebab, you know, because we we're, were fairly, fairly smashed. Um, and we're in the kebab shop and Mark goes out to this alleyway uh, to take a piss, as you do. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, this person comes up to him and is like, can I have um, some money, please? And he's like, yeah, Mark's a really lovely guy. And he's like, oh, no, sorry, but I'll get you a sandwich. Uh, and so he's like walking with them to the sandwich shops and he gets out his wallet to get his money out. And as soon as he does that, the wallet's snatched from him and they run off. And like, you know, Mark's obviously distraught. So he comes back and he tells us at this kebab shop. And, you know, up till now, Ennis has been a really lovely, smiley guy. And I see his face just drop. I'm like, oh, bloody hell. And he, like, storms outside. And the person still just chilling there on the street. And we're like, OK, <laughs> you clearly don't give a fuck. Um, and so Anna just storms past me and he's just like, hold my glasses. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm not messing with you. Uh, and like, you know, he just goes up and he's like, where's the fucking euro? And he's like, you know, grabs him and he's like, you know, he's really angry. And like, there's this whole like tobacco and they're like, they didn't have it on them. And you know, they were getting really lippy back and, you know, ends up with both of them just kind of fighting um, down the street. And we're all just standing there with our kebabs, like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> At one point, they all kind of like collide past us and I'm like trying to hobble away, like, get me away from this. Um, this is going on for a good while, and me and my friend James are like, we're not having any part of this. So we go and sit by uh, this set of steps, these sort of stone steps outside, um, and we're just sitting there, like, calmly eating our kebabs, and behind us, there's just a whole commotion of this massive fight going on. Um, yeah, the police came in the end. Mark never got his euro back. Yeah, it was a bit sad. Um, but yeah, since then, I'm, you know... I still think Anna's a lovely, cuddly guy, but I've gained a lot of respect for him, and I know I'm not going to get on the wrong side of him again. Um, and I do recommend the Mary Wallopers. So, yeah. <laughs> the mean streets, the mean, mean streets, honestly. You think that kebab shops should be a place of refuge and warmth. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
cleanse the palette with another one liner. Uh, oh, it's a short one. <laughs> okay, and the top corner, uh, there's a small patch of blood. <laughs> and then an arrow saying, my boyfriend had a nosebleed on this. Sad face. <laughs> oh, I was just, just going to gently throw that one away. <laughs> Thank you, but super, super topical on the theme. Round of applause. <laughs> I've mentioned I'm actually a nurse. <laughs> um, you should have said the, the treatment for that is a tissue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm here all week. Okay. Um, ooh, I will do a one-liner for reading the name of our final storyteller. Here it is. Um, a long time ago, I went on a few dates with someone. We kind of liked each other, but I was not very emotionally mature. That it's sort of self-aware. Um, on our third date, I was being such a dick that she left the date absolutely furious. On her way home, somebody tried to mug her and she went off at them with such unmitigated rage that the mugger had a change of heart. <laughs> thing you've ever woken up to? 
For me, this happened during my final year at university. I woke up, I got out of bed, I stumbled across the room and opened my bedroom door, and on the floor was my wallet. And on top of my wallet was a stack of my cards, my credit cards, my debit cards, my student ID, my driving license, all in a curious little pile. And this, to this very day, is the greatest mystery of my life. <laughs> the mystery deepened when I went upstairs and into the living room. Someone had punched our TV. There were glass shards of the screen all over the floor and blood droplets from where the culprit had damaged his hand. As well as this, the curtains had been pulled down and our electric wires cut in two. And the most disturbing detail was revealed when my housemates came downstairs, for they had all had a bloody handprint smeared upon their doors. <laughs> As you can imagine, we called the police. And they were a bit baffled. They were expecting a burglary. Uh, where I lived was uh, one of the most burgled areas in the country. It often is in the top ten. Um, so they were expecting to come round find out what had been stolen, give us a crime reference number, and be on their very way. But they couldn't do this with this because nothing had been stolen. Everything had just been sabotaged. And in confusion, they asked, well, who have you annoyed? Who have you pissed off? <laughs> this is obviously an act of revenge. Like, who do you have bad blood with? And I would love to tell you that we had enemies, that one of us was in a lover's tryst, one of us had a competitor's rivalry. But we were really boring. Like, we didn't have anything like that. There was one person we might have annoyed, and that was our landlord. Uh, the week before, we had been in that very living room, and we had this huge water leak. And it took the landlord four days to fix it, so that meant we went four days without water, electricity, lighting, heating, internet. It was a nightmare. It was so bad, in fact, that on the final evening, one of my housemates ended up defecating in a Tesco's bag because we didn't have a flushing toilet. She didn't have to do that. She could, <laughs> she, she could have just used the toilet and not flush, but in a crisis, every little helps. <laughs> When they repair the leak, I write a letter of complaint and, like, full disclosure, it was a little smarmy. <laughs> At one point, I'm like, we don't want to pay rent. <laughs> but the key of the letter was, like, water is, like, a right for tenants. Like, they broke the tenancy agreement, they broke the contract, they've broken the law. And so I hand the letter in on the Monday and the house gets sabotaged on the Friday. So there was an action and there was a reaction. <laughs> now you may think like a landlord acting out in this way may seem unrealistic, but I would propose it to you that stranger things have happened in Netflix true crime documentaries. <laughs> At the end of the day, the landlord had a motive, all by petty. He also had the means, he had the keys to our front door. But the police weren't convinced by my theory and didn't, <laughs> didn't offer many theories of their own. They did just give us a crime reference number and went off on their very merry way. And for the years that have followed, I've found myself more and more compelled by my theory that the landlord did it. Not 
because of evidence or facts or, <laughs> or reason, but actually out of comfort. Like I think about what happened on that evening, it was quite disturbing and there's something reassuring about the landlord doing it, that it was an act of bad blood. Because the alternative is unsettling, the alternative is scary, the alternative is that it was a stranger that night that came into our home and did something rather strange. <laughs> and that doesn't sit well with me. <laughs> Thank you. Let's see from there. Um. <laughs> uh, thanks so much for coming. We're here next month. We're here every month. Buy tickets 
online in advance so you don't get turned away, but you will manage to get in so you know that. And we've got our podcast. Um, and <laughs> be kind to one another. And everybody take care. See you soon. Goodbye. <laughs>